You're listening to the weekly teaching podcast of Cornerstone Community Church in Wildemar, California, where we exist to reach people, make disciples, and build relationships. If you'd like to connect with us even further, check out our website at go2cornerstone.com. Good morning. Man, I love baptism Sunday. See how many youth got baptized today? We've got, I think, twice that amount of youth getting baptized next service because they just had summer camp, and the Lord did a great work. We're going to share all those stories with you in the next couple of weeks, and so it's going to be awesome. Well, I am refreshed and back from vacation, and so we went to uh, Boston, Rhode Island, Connecticut, spent a lot of time in Jersey seeing my, my large family out there, large as in, like, there's a lot of them, not they're, they're all healthy. And then we went to New York City, which is my favorite, favorite place, all right? But we're happy to be back, most of all. And so today we're in 1 Samuel chapter 25. If you have a Bible, open to 1 Samuel 25. You can open up the church app and follow along with our notes there. We're going to focus just on this chapter, and we're going to see David as angry as you have ever seen anybody in your life, but you're going to be able to relate to his overreaction when it comes to anger. And anger can lead to both our rise and our fall, because anger in and of itself isn't a bad thing. But anger has been a problem since the beginning of time. Even a few hundred years ago, Isaac Watts said this, to be angry about trivial things is mean and childish. To rage and be furious is brutish. And to maintain perpetual wrath is comparable to the practice of devils. But to prevent and suppress rising resentment is divine, and it really is divine. It really is like God for us to have self-control and to act like this, and we see Jesus say the same thing in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, we'll put it on the screen so you can see it, Jesus is talking about how God allows it to, to reign on both the righteous and the unrighteous. Right? God is good towards everybody, no matter what they do towards him. And so we are challenged to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. But the context for perfection is loving our neighbors, loving our enemies, even while we are angry. And so before we jump into today's scripture, which is going to remind us just how hard it is to deal with our anger, but how even when we fail in our anger, we can still salvage the situation. Before we jump into that, why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them something you, you know is just silly, you shouldn't be angry about it, but yet you are angry about it. Tell them what you're angry about. Go ahead, they, they already know what it is. Just be honest. Tell them, say, you make me angry, it's you. No, don't say that. I'm not sure what reason you thought was silly but makes you angry, but life provides lots of reasons for us to be angry. First Samuel chapter 25, verse 1 shows us a few of these. It says, now Samuel died, and all Israel mourned. And a certain man was wealthy. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail, and she was intelligent and beautiful, but her husband was surly and mean. We see three reasons here just from this passage that can cause anger in our lives. The first is grief. It says Samuel died. Samuel's the one that anointed David as king. We don't know how this affected him, except we know David, who wrote the Psalms, was an emotional person, and so we imagine it really did affect him. 
And so grief can cause us to be angry at God, and it can cause us to be more angry and frustrated with other people around us who don't understand our grief. Another reason is just unfairness. It says there's just a certain guy, he was loaded, he was wealthy. Nabal was just rich, but it doesn't even seem fair. He's a mean guy. I'm sure he earned the money, but sometimes in life, whether we decide to go there as far as whether they earned it or deserve it. Sometimes we just look at other people having more than we have, and it bothers us that we don't have what they have. And then the third reason is just jerks. <laughs> They're just people around you that are mean, like Nabal is. It's just, why are you so mean? Why do you act like that at times? Those are just the reasons from Scripture, but lots of reasons. Disappointment, rejection, embarrassment, frustrations, irritations, abuse. So much can make us angry in life, but... Two questions that can help us while we are angry are these. Why are you angry? What's the real reason you're angry? And is it justified? Are you justified in being angry in the moment? There are times where people are wrong towards you and you're justified in your anger. And there's other times where People just disappoint you and don't meet your expectations, but you never even communicated those expectations, and you're not justified in your anger. Another helpful question for us is, do the circumstances of life have to affect our mood? Do they have to? If so, you are completely out of control, and everybody else and everything else controls you. If anybody else can determine if you have a good day or a bad day based on what they say to you or do to you, then they own you, right? They just own you. They'll, they'll choose when you're happy and when you are sad. Circumstances don't have to dictate our mood, although anger can't be prevented at times. And so life really is difficult, as we see in these first few passages. People are mean, but we still need to try and be kind. And David tries to be kind to Nabal, even though he really is mean and he has a reputation of that. It says in verse 4, David sent men and said, go up to Nabal and say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household. When your shepherds were with us, we didn't mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Therefore, be favorable. Please give your servants whatever you can find for them. Nabal answered, who is David? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Can you imagine the response of David to be treated like this, the one anointed to be king? David tried to be respectful. He says, long life to you. He was reasonable. He says, hey, we didn't mistreat your shepherds. We actually provided a service for you, protecting you from raiders to your flock. But Nabal's answer was just rude. It was rough. It was pushing a button. He was trying to get in David's face, thinking there can be no consequences. He's not king yet. Maybe he'll never be king. He's not Saul. And he just throws it back in his face, saying, who do you think you are? What's your button? Right? What's the thing that if someone says it to you or your family or they do these things, it just unleashes Hulk out of you and you just become something else. What's your button? For me, I think one of my buttons is when I go, whatever it is, if I'm calling a healthcare or cell phone company, something, a bank, and I go through an extensive verification process to show that I am Andy Dean. And then the robot finally transfers me to a person and they ask me the same exact questions. Like, this is ridiculous. Why did you waste my time if your system isn't smart enough to transfer it over? And so what do I do when that button is pushed? I just always feel the need to tell them that they're failing at life. 
I'm like, you know, I was already verified. I already answered this exact question. They're like, oh, I know, but I don't have that information. And I go, then, then why did you ask me? What was the benefit of you asking? Like, what does it matter? And, and then I move on and I, I try and mostly be respectful as I'm, I'm saying that. But that is a button where I'm like, what a waste of time in this moment. Anger, anger pushes us to respond for better or for worse. It says in verse 12, David's men reported every word. And David said, each of you strap on your sword. And about 400 men went with David. David gets angry immediately hearing the reaction of Nabal. Now, what is anger? Anger is a God-given emotion that we feel when we perceive something is wrong, and it should motivate us towards constructive action, like seeking clarity. Why did you say that? Why did you do that? Did you mean this, seeking clarity? Or in a healthy way, confronting the situation to change the wrong when it's there, or moving towards forgiveness. There's constructive actions that we can take when we are angry. And so this emotion is given by God to lead towards something that is constructive. Anger in itself isn't sinful. It, it's not. It, it's an occasion for potential sin, right? It may lead towards sin depending on our response to anger. And so the challenge that we have in Scripture is to be angry and not sin. Ephesians 4.26 tells us that. Be angry and don't sin, right? There's a way to have anger and not cross a line into sinfulness. David, when he says, strap on your swords and 400 people, he convinces 400 people that we need to go kill Nabal and every male in that household. That's an overreaction, right? This is a bit much, David. The question we have to ask is, were there any other ways David could have responded to this insult? He could have walked away, and God may have provided somewhere else, but taught David self-control and patience and mercy, right? He could have gone back to, to Nabal and said, can we have a face-to-face -face meeting? Maybe I wasn't, wasn't clear. I mean, there's so many other things that David could have done besides let's kill everyone, but isn't this how we feel at times, right? Where all this anger leads to immediate hate and then you have these crazy thoughts where you're like, they just all need to not live anymore. I'm not saying I'll kill them, but you know, it's, we feel nuts at times with our anger. Problem is David is treating Nabal like he is Goliath. But it's not the same situation. Nabal isn't an enemy of God. Nabal is personally insulting David. He's not coming against God and, and God's kingdom. It's not the same situation. David should have shown self-control. Physical violence, temper tantrums, bitterness, hatred in these wrong ways, silent treatment, and even raising our voice, these are sinful responses to anger. These are all reactions of the flesh where we have lost control. We are not, we're not having self-control, that fruit of the Spirit, we're not controlling the one thing we can control in the situation ourselves. You can't control the circumstance that happened to you or how people speak to you or what they do to you, but you can always control, by God's help, your response and reaction in angry situations. David here lost control, and he seems incapable of regaining control. Even 400 men aren't going to help him calm down. It takes a woman who is wise to help David in this moment. And she shows us a much healthier way 
to process anger. Verse 14, one of the servants told Abigail, now think it over. She, she tells him what's going on with Nabal. And she says, think it over and see what you can do because destruction's coming for us. Abigail acted quickly. She loaded food and wine on the donkeys and she met David and David said, it's, it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property. When Abigail saw David, she said, pardon your servant. Pay no attention to that wicked man. The Lord has kept you from avenging yourself. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, Saul, the life of my Lord will be bound securely. But the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled everything, my Lord will not have on his conscience the burden of needless bloodshed. Abigail here de-escalates the situation in so many beautiful ways. Thank God for Abigail. Uh, Abigail, this story in the Bible is the reason I named my daughter Abigail at her, at her baby dedication. I prayed that God would keep her away from foolish Nabals until she had the patience to meet a David for her. And I cried. No surprise. No surprise there. But this is the Abigail that I named my Abigail. But everyone's Abigail. It's like a top 10 baby name. But here's how she shows us how to process anger. First, she values peace more than punishment. We need to value peace, aiming towards reconciliation more than hurting the other person as much as they have hurt us. And so somebody comes to her in verse 17 and says, think it over, see what you can do because we're, we're all in trouble if you don't do something, but you're reasonable. She aims for peace, even on behalf of her foolish husband. We're told to do this. Not only does Jesus say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth, but the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, when we first think of this verse, we assume it's not possible, right? We're like, no, no, in this situation, peace is impossible, only punishment, only destruction, only a violent reaction. But the truth is, as we pray, we realize there may be peace possible on our end, even if the other person is all riled up. We might be able to help de-escalate the situation. And we're called to live at peace with everyone. That means the jerks and the nables of the world we are still called to be at peace with. It's not necessarily our job to make sure the person who is uh, driving erratically or road raging that we are the judge and jury of that situation. God's not calling us to do that. God's calling us to be peaceful. I know the temptation when somebody does something crazy to pull alongside them and look at them because you're like, sometimes you honestly are just curious. You're like, what kind of a human would drive like that? And then if you see it's like a sweet old grandma, usually you calm down. You're like, oh, my kids, I've taught them a horrible habit. I try and teach them good things about the Lord, but... Anytime there's a bad driver, I, I just say it without thinking. I say, come on, Grandma. And they're always like, Grandma's here. I'm like, mm, I need to shut up. Shut up, Andy. What are you doing? This is not, this is not how we help de-escalate. Gary Chapman, he's the author of the Five Love Languages book, speaks about people who de-escalate like this. He says, angry people need someone who cares enough to listen long enough to understand the pain. They need someone who listens carefully enough to identify with the person's anger and wisely enough to express understanding, but courageously enough to respond with a gentle, 
truthful answer that seeks resolution of the issue. We all need people like this in our lives. David didn't have a single person like this in the 400 men that came to just follow their leader to destroy everything in sight, even for a bad reason. Calling them towards Goliath, great reason. Towards Nabal, it's a petty reason. He was just offended personally. It took Abigail as the only one brave enough to speak up in that moment. She was a peacemaker. This week, in a very small kind of a situation, my wife acted as a peacemaker for Gideon, my, my nine-year-old. I told him a, a few days earlier, I said, hey, you can borrow my laptop you know, charging cable for your iPad, but please put it back in my bag. The charger was here. My bag was right there. It was as easy as possible. He goes, I'll definitely do it. Of course, he didn't do that because he got distracted playing whatever game he was playing. So I found myself at a coffee shop uh, studying without my charger as my battery is depleting. And it made me angry. It's a small, silly thing, a simple mistake. But I was like, ah, I told him to. Here's what is really sad about my anger. I had a full charge on my laptop. So I had like eight hours of time. So it really wasn't an issue. But I thought, no, I feel disrespected by Gideon. I just need to drop it. He's a kid. And I was like, I'm going to call. Now, why, why am I calling? There's no benefit to calling, but I'm like, I'm going to call. And in my heart, I was like, oh, I shouldn't make him feel too guilty and ashamed of his mistake. It was just a mistake. But I called and I said, hey, Shannon, ask Gideon why he didn't plug my laptop cord in. And he goes, I did. I'm like, oh, now he's lying. Now he's lying. He didn't put it back in my bag. And I was like, well, he didn't. She goes, were you okay? I'm like, well, I have a full charge, but he should have done it. And I, don't, I was just calling to make him feel guilty like a little sinner. He's just a cute kid, and I'm trying to make him feel guilty. And Shannon's like, okay. And she hung up. And about 20 minutes later, she drove over my laptop cord, and Gideon walks in all sweet with a new haircut and hands it to me. And I'm like, Gideon, I'm sorry. It wasn't a big deal. And I gave him a hug. I didn't raise my voice. I didn't scream at him when I was on the phone. But, but I obviously was upset enough where Shannon felt like, well, I'll bring the charger so you can love your child again. Very, that was a good action of peacemaking for her part. Listen, we need to value peace more than punishment. We also see from Abigail's response, we need to determine the best time to re-engage. If we are the one that sinned and hurt somebody and we're apologizing, move fast. Don't sit on that for a few days. Move fast to apologize. Verse 18 says, Abigail acted quickly. She's apologizing on behalf of her husband. And in Ephesians 4.26, it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And this is great advice. If it's possible, deal with the situation before the, the day is over, right? Apologize, send the, the, the text message to reconcile, whatever it takes. If you're the one that needs to apologize, you do that quickly. But if you're the one that was sinned against and you are responding in anger, move slow, Go slow. Sleep on it. Don't send the email right away. Don't send the text message response or reply right away. You're not going to want to do that. It's been said, speak when you're angry and you will make the best speech you'll ever regret. It's just the truth. We all think, ah, I probably could have been a little softer. I probably could have been a little more gentle. And so Shannon, for some reason, she must have known I was talking about anger this week um, because she was sweet in all these situations where I was angry. But we were getting back from our vacation. We had to fly into Vegas. Just that's how bad all the flights were. It was better for us to drive four hours to Vegas to fly to New Jersey than it was to fly out of any of our local airports. And so we land at, at 9.30 p.m. And I'm thinking, all right, 
I'm going to drive, my family's going to sleep, we'll get home at one in the morning, and it'll be okay, and then we'll get Abigail off to camp, and I'm thinking, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for our family. Every three minutes, Shannon was like, are you okay? Is everything fine? Are you doing okay? And I'm like, I'm not like, you know, when you go into the side, you go, do, 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 when you go off the line. She deserves to say, are you going to kill us all in that moment, right? But I wasn't even doing that. I was focused. I was ready. And, and it, it bothered me that she wasn't trusting me. Now, what, why is she doing this? It's late at night. We've got time zone changes. It really feels three hours later. She's just trying to keep the family alive and be supportive. But it felt like an insult on my ability to drive and stay awake. And so finally, after I think it was six times that she woke up and said, are you okay? Is everything fine? I said, the only thing bothering me is that you keep on speaking to me about this. Now, I know that sounds really kind and loving to say, but it did not come across that way to her for some reason, not in that moment. So she decided, I'm going to bed forever. Maybe I'll see Andy in heaven. We're all going to die. But so the next day, I'm feeling a little guilty about how I treated her, but she doesn't bring it up. So I'm not going to apologize, right? Because I'm like, ah, maybe I wasn't so rude. Maybe I was justified. So I'll just keep, so we're okay. We're okay. She's a little quiet, but we're okay. But then she came up to me and she says, listen, I'm angry at you based on how you treated me. I'm like, I know. I was, the Holy Spirit was telling me to apologize. I just didn't want to. <laughs> and she goes, I feel like I'm not being kind to you. She was being kind to me, but she didn't feel like she was. So I want you to apologize to me. She just told me what she needed in the moment. And I said, sweetie, you're right. I was wrong. You were only being kind and loving. I was tired, but that's no excuse for how I treated you. I'm sorry. She wisely waited a, a day until she responded, and she responded, responded in the most soft and gentle and loving way. It completely de-escalated everything, and she was the hero. I was the zero in that moment right there. Determine the best time to re-engage. And when you do, only take actions that move toward resolution. What are you doing to fix the problem? She gets David talking. He's like, everything's useless. I shouldn't have even tried to be helpful. And David, even though he is overreacting, he is good about talking. He's like a verbal processor. He's talking about how he feels. We see it in the Psalms. We see it here. You got to talk and let people know, hey, did you mean to say that? What were you intending to have happen in that situation? And then an apology, they're seeking it or giving it. She says, pardon your servant. Hey, I'm sorry on behalf of Nabal. You didn't deserve this. Please, please, we, we apologize. And she validates that he's not crazy, right? She says, pay no attention to that wicked man. And she moves towards forgiveness. She, please forgive your servant's presumption. And for David, something he would later write is Psalm 1911, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. I'm not sure if he was thinking about this situation, but David moves from angry and I'm going to kill everybody to now overlooking the offense because there was a peacemaker in front of him. How is it possible to calm down like this? For believers today, only if we are daily communing with Jesus. The more we get to know who God is as we spend time in scripture and in prayer, the more we become like him, the more our heart is molded to become like God himself. And Jesus will inspire us towards this. Ephesians 4.32 says, forgive as God in Christ forgave you. As we spend time with Jesus, we are very aware of our rebellion, our sin, 
and how we have been forgiven. And so we are inspired to forgive others. But Jesus also challenges us. And this is a challenging verse. Matthew 6 says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We need to spend some time thinking about that verse, don't we? That's a scary verse in the Bible. There are some promises that are just given. There are others that are conditional. Jesus is saying, holding on to an unforgiving heart, living in bitterness is not a sign that your heart has been regenerated. And it's not a sign of understanding our great sin against God. So we should, we should forgive other people. And so Jesus challenges us here. And Abigail finally teaches us that we really need to remember what's at stake when we're angry so we don't overreact like David. She says and reminds us that, that our spiritual growth is at stake. Verse 28, she says, God is going to make you a lasting dynasty. If, if David was going to be king for 40 years, he needed to learn how to have self-control so every insult doesn't lead to him leading the army out in battle. Our spiritual growth is at stake. God may be using this angry situation to teach you self-control and patience. And maybe you don't feel like you should be that self-controlled around this person, but you want to be that way against your spouse, with your kids, with your coworkers. And so we need to be taught these things by God. That's what's at stake. Your team is at stake. She says in verse 28, you only fight the Lord's battles against Goliath, not against Nabal. You fight the right battles. And sometimes we need to remember that other people and how they respond to us, it isn't that they are always acting alone. There are times where the enemy of our soul is also involved to ruin the Christian witness. We're told in Ephesians 6, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. And in James chapter 3, verse 6, another terrifying verse in the Bible it says, your tongue can be set on fire by hell itself. That means the words that come out of your mouth can do more to support hell, Satan's team, than the band of brothers and sisters we are with Christ. No, I want to be on Christ's team. I want to be encouraging believers, not being used by enemy on the wrong team. Another thing at stake is our reputation. She knows that Saul is chasing him all over the place in verse 29. She's aware of this. So David's reputation is at stake, but also his conscience. It weighs on you when you don't respond well. doesn't matter what they've done to you. Your response can haunt you. Verse 31, hey, if you don't do this, you will not have this on your conscience. So if we let God, he will give us the peace that we ultimately desire more than punishment. David said to Abigail, praise be to you who sent you. May you be blessed for keeping me from bloodshed. And David accepted from her hand what she had brought and said, go home in peace. And in the morning, Nabal's wife told him all these things and his heart failed. And 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David heard, he said, praise the Lord who has upheld my cause. He kept his servant from doing wrong and brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. And David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. God cares enough about peace and about us that he will either send us a peacemaker to de-escalate or he'll send us a peaceful thought, a moment of clarity where we realize, do I really want to respond like this? Is this a godly response? And in that moment of clarity, we've got a chance to go take a walk, to sleep on it, to pray so we can respond in a godly way. And this peace that we desire 
It comes from extending forgiveness to someone who either now does deserve it because they've apologized and repented, or even if they don't deserve it, but we extend forgiveness on our part. We can receive peace from that. Or if that forgiveness is not possible, we can have peace knowing that God is a righteous judge and one day he'll handle all of that. And so there really is nothing unjust happening because God will judge all injustice one day. And so we can leave that delayed judgment to him. Nabal dies here. Romans 12, 19 says, don't take revenge, my friends. Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. We're not the judge. There's one judge and one lawgiver. That's Jesus Christ. We can trust him to judge others. Now, we don't do that in a sinful way. We don't say, Lord, you know, crush them, crush them. Listen, God will judge. If they need to be crushed, God will do that. But we remember we were once enemies of God ourselves. And in our best moments, in our clearest moments, we move towards mercy. We hope for repentance and forgiveness, not just the judgment of God. Saul obviously was an angry king. Pastor Aaron talked about that last week. He is hunting David left and right, nonstop angry. Saul's anger got the best of him, and he dies in 1 Samuel 31 in anger. Now, the hardest part about anger isn't, isn't actually calming down. It's taking action after you've calmed down. Too often we calm down, which is a great first step, but then we don't re-engage in gentleness to bring about reconciliation and forgiveness. We just think that we can bury it under the rug, and hey, that's, that's better than David's response of slaughtering everyone, right? But, but God would have us to re-engage so that person can realize the, the hurt behind their words, you know, the weight of their actions and that we can all grow in these situations. So is there someone in your life that you've calmed down about the situation, but you need to re-engage and let them know, hey, I, I love you, but what you did made me angry, and I want to put that behind us and move towards reconciliation. Maybe they're not even aware at the anger that they caused in your life, but instead of, instead of continuing to punish them and how you act towards them in that situation, do you need to re-engage? One of the best things that I think we can do is continue to spend time with Jesus to clarify our emotions like anger, but also things like anxiety and discouragement and depression. And the mental health conference that we have coming up on August 12th is going to be amazing. This is a friend of mine who is a follower of Jesus who's going to teach us on how to follow Jesus when you are feeling anxious, depressed, and how to deal with suicidal thoughts. And so this is going to be a conference that all of us are going to want to be at, but this is the easiest invite that we have ever given you because these are the most relevant topics that our community could be going through, young and old, to talk about anxiety, depression, and suicide, whether it's us and those people that are feeling this way or whether it's how we are getting equipped to help others, this is gonna be fantastic. And so we hope that you can sign up and invite other people to this conference because Man, David needed this conference, right? He, he went from, I'm going to slaughter everyone to maybe I should chill out. And it's always good for us to take our emotions, bring them before the Lord and say, Lord, what is, what is right? What are you doing? And so, Father, as we're thinking about who we should re-engage with, that's a fearful thing. That's something that is uncomfortable for us. And we may think we're strong enough just to bury it and not deal with it. But, Lord, the things we bury are dug up again one day 
And we don't want other people to, in a surprised way, all of a sudden deal with us lashing out and holding something against them. Lord, help us to not be like Saul who held on to his anger, but to deal with our anger. Yet David was almost committing a horrible disaster here. It may have disqualified him from being king. And yet even after that, he was able to salvage the situation by humbling himself and listening to a peacemaker. Lord, send those peacemakers to our lives. Help us to be those peacemakers. And if there's someone else that we need to talk to about that situation that we're struggling with, give us the boldness to do that in love and prepare their hearts to be grateful that we care enough to re-engage like that. So we love you, Lord, with all of our heart, the, the love, the anger, the frustrations, the happiness, the joy. We're so grateful for you and that we can be honest with you about how we're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We have a prayer team available. If you guys want some prayer, we'll see you next week. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. If you're a first-time listener, text the word NEW to 951-425-4425. If you'd like to give to our ministry, check out go to cornerstone.com slash give. Thank you for listening and have a great week.